What's up, everybody? Welcome to Crypto with Coop. I'm Coop, and this is the spot for fun, informative conversations with influential people in the crypto space. And today I've got a good one, folks. I'm talking to Natalie Brunel. Natalie is an Emmy award-winning journalist and the host of a very popular Bitcoin podcast, Coin Stories. We talk about Bitcoin. We talk about the bear market. She makes her case for why Bitcoin is digital real estate and hard sound money. I push back a bit on some of the Bitcoin maximalist positions and she holds her ground. She's pretty fantastic, folks. You don't want to miss this. But before I dive in, let's get a word from our sponsor, Headline Inc. Headline is building essential Algorand ecosystem tools. They have a DEX going live right now on Testnet, HDX. It's a flat fee trading platform. It's actually free if you hold a Platinum Astro NFT. Headline has a thriving, growing community in the Algorand ecosystem, and they're building all sorts of things, DAO tools, NFTs with utility, and much, much more. Basically, if Algorand needs it, Headline is building it. All right, everybody. Without further ado, my conversation with Natalie Brunel. Yes, thank you. You actually stole my my former line from my resume. I know a little about a lot because as a reporter, I had to cover a lot. And <laughs> I never knew about you, one thing too in depth until Bitcoin. <laughs> are you are you serious? Did you really used to say you know a little about a lot? No. <laughs> well, I used I didn't have it on my resume, but yes, I used to say that. I was like, you know, right. I, I I became a I had to become an expert for a day on all these different topics when I was a news reporter, but I was never actually the expert. Um, but yeah, it was a it was a fun career. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm wondering how long I can do this and how much I can learn and still pull off that line, but I still feel like I'm okay. And we're talking about Bitcoin today. So I have a feeling that I have some things to learn from you. So <laughs> look, thank you so much for joining me. I know, you know, I'm, I'm following you on Twitter and I saw earlier this week, you're talking to Michael Saylor last night. Uh, you're on the most watched cable news, primetime television show. And then today you're on the recoup. So you're really climbing that ladder, Natalie. Yes, I, I, I know. To... Thank you for having me. I'm honored. <laughs> I wore my Bitcoin orange, so I'm ready to yeah. go. <laughs> yeah, you are. So, I mean, I'm obviously joking, but that's okay. So, okay. Before we start, like, why don't we just get in case somebody doesn't know who you are out there, like let them know who you are and, you know, a little bit about your past and how you came to Bitcoin and, you know, how you got here. Sure. Yeah. You know, I'm actually very new to the Bitcoin space in terms of being in the public eye. My background is media. I was a television journalist for more than 10 years. I I covered everything. I was a breaking news correspondent for ABC, traveling the country. I've done local markets where I was an investigative reporter and anchor. And it was really a, a fascinating career. It's what I always wanted to do um, from the time I was very young. And, mm -hmm. you know, taking it back to like when I was little, I think one of the reasons why I became so passionate about Bitcoin is because I know from a very young age what it means to financially struggle. My parents came here, first generation from Eastern Europe. They wanted to flee communism. They grew up under mm -hmm. communism where there was no sense of upward mobility and really making a life for yourself in the same way that the American dream sort of represented. So they really wanted to come here. Um, it's very difficult to, to immigrate from Eastern Europe. It took them many, many years. So they didn't come until my mom was in her late 30s. My dad was in his early 40s and they started from scratch. Like I really admire them so much. And I'm really close to my parents because I just watched them sacrifice and work so hard just to give their kids a better life here. And so I was always just instilled with this sense of you have to work hard. I have to do well at school. Like I'm basically the person who's going to make it or break it for my family because I was so little when I got, got to come. So mm -hmm. I, I've, I put a lot of pressure on myself. I think it's like led me to be like the kind of, you know, I hustle and I'm, I'm very ambitious because I really mm -hmm. want to justify the sacrifice my parents made. Um, they worked really, really hard. They held down multiple jobs. They were trying to learn the language. And then when the financial crisis hit, we had just um, prior, a couple of years prior to that, had been able to afford our first uh, home in the United States. They had a down payment. They got a mortgage. And, you know, this mm -hmm. is the time everyone was like, everyone get a house and like, you know, we're going to make it really cheap for everyone to own a house. And then boom, the financial bubble popped and my family lost everything. Like just as they had, you know, taken off, they crash landed. And it was wow. so sad to see them file for bankruptcy. And I was graduating college at the time. And I was just, I had this feeling where 
like, you know, this is America. Like all these big banks are getting bailed out. These big corporations, no one at the top who caused all this is losing their job. But my parents are one of the 10 million people who lose their homes and like have to start over. Um, so, you know, I had chosen journalism and I entered into the journalism career with sort of this fire planted in me where I was frustrated and I felt like the system's unfair and I want to call out the people who are powerful and hold them accountable, especially for, for mm -hmm. things like this. So I did a really traditional news path. I started really small and I always like gravitated toward investigative and like public corruption style stories where I just really, you know, held their feet to the fire. And, um, and then in 2017, I discovered Bitcoin I mm -hmm. didn't understand it like so many people. So I relate to everyone in the audience that's like, I don't believe in this. It's a scam. It's, you know, it's digital, whatever. Um, well, <laughs> I, I had to really put in the work to understand it. And then um, and then I really, really studied it. And what I realized to kind of finish this long winded thought is I realized that all the problems that not only my family had suffered and experienced, but also all the things I had been documenting as a journalist, the growth mm -hmm. in corruption, the growth in poverty, growth in homelessness, rising cost of everything around you. Everything was connected to how broken our financial system is and this thing called money printing that I never really understood. And mm -hmm. Bitcoin was really designed to address all these things. So I suddenly became really passionate. And it was, you know, that saying like when preparation meets opportunity, that's what that's luck. It's not really luck. Yep. It's like a lot of different elements. I felt like that's what happened to me because I was prepared in terms of 10 years of communicating messages, storytelling, writing, going on camera, communicating yeah. essentially. And then I learned about Bitcoin. I put in the work. I prepared myself for that as well. And then the opportunity came where, you know, I entered this space and there weren't a lot of women talking about it in the media. And now i basically created a new career, which is 10 times more fulfilling where I get to talk about Bitcoin on my podcast and on television. That's amazing. So, just, okay. So you started, so you around five years old, you move from Eastern yes. Europe, your mm -hmm. family has to restart at four, their forties, which I mean, I yeah. think a lot of people out there probably even, you know, identify with now, like there's a lot of yeah. people being like, wow, I just got out ton of college debt and it really mm -hmm. didn't serve me for anything. And people are constantly reinventing themselves. And yeah. um, so that's amazing that they pulled that off. They get the house and then 2008 happens, it crashes, which was also the catalyst, I believe for Bitcoin in general, right? I mean, that's yeah. what whoever Satoshi is. Um, I mean, maybe yeah. we'll, I'll make you guess that later, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but so that's amazing. So then when did you finally, like, when did Bitcoin finally come on your radar? Yeah, it was 2017. I was working as a reporter at NBC based out of the capital of California. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I was doing a lot of, you know, government stories. And I met a lot of people who lived in Silicon Valley or worked in Silicon Valley. And they just started talking about Coinbase and Bitcoin and crypto. And I'm like, what is this thing? Uh, so I learned very little about it at first. I, I mm -hmm. equated it to essentially stocks. And yeah. I thought that any money that I could put in, I would probably lose. So I invested very little to start, but I, you know, I pat myself on the back. Like I actually invested. I took, I, yeah. I opened up my co first Coinbase account and I was like, I'm going to try this thing. What are these people talking about? Um, and I pitched a story. I remember doing a story on Bitcoin in about 2017. Um, and it was about a Bitcoin ATM that was in a local mall outside of Sacramento. And mm -hmm. my station, I remember, you know, there was pushback. There's always, there's a lot of pushback in mainstream media that I was up against because they really don't understand it. I don't think a lot of reporters and producers, I'm gonna, just gonna say it and be truthful. I just, I really don't under, I don't think they understand our financial system, especially like mm -hmm. mainstream regular news um, markets where it's not financial, you know, focused. They really right. don't understand the money printer, inflation, things like that. And I, and I, and I was one of those people. Uh, yeah. So I, um, it took me, it took me actually two years to fully understand Bitcoin because the Bitcoin standard was really what changed everything for me. I had a mentor who um, I, I told him I bought Bitcoin and he didn't know what it was. And so he went out and purchased the book, The Bitcoin Standard, and he read it and said, Natalie, you have to read this book like you. You bought something that could potentially be life changing. You need to you need to read this. Uh, so I read the book. And for me, it was a it, it it's like a 
have you ever seen that movie Inside Out or Inside Out? Is it Pixar? You know, core, oh, core yeah. memories. Yeah. You know how it yeah. creates core, like poof, it like gets released in your brain. Literally yeah. like a core, a core memory was made when I read the Bitcoin standard because oh, it was like this aha moment of like, oh my gosh, this is why the financial crisis happened. This is why my parents lost everything. This is why yeah. I've been like reporting on all this stuff. And it was yeah. just, it was, I, I read it twice. I be, And then literally it was like, I was so hungry. It was like, I, I needed to learn everything I could. I started studying macroeconomics, Bitcoin, the technology. I read every book I could. I watched every podcast and, and YouTube video and really studied. I took the time to really study. And then I was able to start to, to put my thoughts out there as well. That's amazing. So you, so now you have a podcast. How long have you been doing coin stories? So I launched my first episode of Coin Stories at the Bitcoin conference last year because I decided to go just to network, try to get more guests, meet some of the people that I had interviewed that were kind enough to talk to me when they had no clue who I was and I had no podcast. Um, right. I brought my best friend. So I launched it June of last year with like 2000 Twitter followers. Oh, wow. Good for you. And so, yeah. OK, so this is new. This isn't actually you. Yeah. This, like you said, this is relatively new. So, yeah. OK, so you you learn about Bitcoin in 2017. You have the courage to actually put your money where your mm -hmm. idea is or where. And then you follow that and then you continue down the journalist path. But mm -hmm. then last year or you said 2020 or 2021, sorry. Last year, the first conference that I yeah, attended the, was last the year. The first yeah. one, yeah. And so, and then you're like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna start a podcast where called Coin Stories, and mm -hmm. in Coin Stories, you're talking to different people, you know, uh, notable figures in the Bitcoin community, and you're making them actually tell you their story, rather mm -hmm. than, you know, it's not just like a Bitcoin conversation. It's like, okay, I want to know more about you. That and it, it's it's so evident, right? I mean, and you do that, and it's exciting to listen to. So. I, storytelling and like, you know, I'm also really attracted to that type of thing. It makes me feel like you have like an acting background as well. When I listen to you, do you, or no, am I, am I reaching here? <laughs> oh, that's funny. Well, so when I was young, I knew I wanted to work in media. Um, cause mm -hmm. I, I, I probably mentioned, I wanted to be in the, that world ever since I was little. And the reason is because we watched a ton of news and movies and TV shows when I was little, cause it helped my parents learn English and it helped, I guess mm -hmm. me learn English too, but it was easier for me to pick up. Um, and so there was a time, like I took acting classes, like I loved being on stage and like, I loved being mm -hmm. in front of the camera. So I did take acting classes for a little bit, but I ended up pursuing, uh, yeah. journalism. But what's funny about what you mentioned is I've always been attracted to like biographies or autobiographies, people's stories, especially if they were rags to riches. Cause I always felt it was yeah. inspiring when people overcame obstacles. And that was probably because, you know, I was coming from the rags. I, like I just, you know, I right. wanted to know that it was possible to achieve whatever, even if you didn't come from, you know, a, you know, connected parents or a certain um, status. And yeah. so I actually start, I follow, I would follow those types of stories. I would Google people's backgrounds always. And there was a podcast I loved called how I built this with Guy Raz and he oh, inter yeah. interviews like CEOs. Um, it's one of the most popular shows from NPR. He interviews CEOs of companies like Southwest or Spanx about their whole story. Like how did they build the company? How did they achieve success? Many of them came from humble backgrounds. And so actually it was in 2018, I started a different podcast because I hadn't studied Bitcoin yet. And it was called Career Stories, where I just talked to people within the media, like mm -hmm. journalists, TV producers, social media influencers, like how did you build your career? And then when I learned about Bitcoin, I basically decided to just pivot that podcast to coin stories because as I learned about Bitcoin, I started following all these really big voices, you know, Anthony Pompliano, Michael Saylor, um, Plan B, all these big names that are really popular in the space. But mm -hmm. I, I was like, who are they? Like, who, where did they yeah. come from? How did they learn about Bitcoin? Why do they believe in Bitcoin? How did they build their careers? So I, I, and I didn't find that information anywhere. I didn't have that like human interest angle to it. And I think you always connect with someone more when you know their story and you know their background. So that's what, that was the genesis of Coin Stories. I didn't even think that it was going to be my career. I just did it as a side project while I was still working as a reporter. I was a full-time reporter and I did the podcast for fun. And then the mm -hmm. audience took off. I had opportunities to sort of monetize it and leave my job, which I ran with because I was like, I'd rather talk about Bitcoin. 
<laughs> so, I mean, exactly. And also like the Bitcoin space is filled with such drastic examples of what you're talking about. Somebody that was struggling and they they either stumbled yeah. upon this or they they learned about this and it transformed so many lives to, you know, yeah. I'm, there's a lot, I'm sure there's a lot of rags to riches stories in the Bitcoin community. Yeah. Um, okay. So you talked about, well, by the way, did your parents recover after losing the house in 2008? Is everything, did they, uh, did they get back on their feet and, and everything okay? Or So they were finally able to purchase another house, a little bit smaller than the one that we had uh, when I was in high school um, about two years ago. And there's like, there, okay. it's, it's a struggle. It's hard when you have to start over at that age, like when you should basically be thinking about retirement, it's hard. Yeah. So, you know, I do like, I really like people ask me, you know, what, like you're like out there. I'm like, yeah, I have a fire in me. I'm going to spread this word because it's, it's not fair that our financial system basically is rigged against the average working person and favors mm -hmm. the, the people at the top. And basically just it like, uh, short circuits capitalism, in my opinion, it doesn't allow for what's naturally supposed to happen in free markets, which is the punishment of risk and the reward for risk. We don't punish risk. We have no consequences. Like you could basically be an irresponsible bank and hurt a ton of customers, take too much risk. And then you just get bailed out because that's what the federal yeah. government does. They swoop in and they save these big companies. They money print and offer them easy money. And everyone else is like struggling to pay for groceries, struggling to pay for their kids' education. Like that's yeah. not the American dream to me that my parents came here here for and like if I can be on this mission to to at least shine a spotlight on it I'm I will do anything I can to do that yeah I know it's sad when you see you know obviously it's devastating what happened to everybody that was invested in Terra Luna this week but yeah. um, it's also troubling to me when I see on Twitter a bunch of people being like oh they'll never let it fail they're gonna bail it out you know buy more Luna which has got to be the, the the worst thing you can do but yeah. it's uh you know they're you know they, that sentiment is so ingrained in people that like Terra Luna for some reason is too big to fail like no it's not actually it's better if it goes away not to the core people that have been devastated by, you know, those imposters, but okay, moving on from right. that. So, okay. So yeah. here we are today, right? So 2008 happened and it seems like we just can't kind of figure it out. Right. I mean, it's, we're in a, <laughs> a we're in a tragedy today as well. I mean, it's, it's yeah. mixed with, you know, very, and I'm sure you are, you know, more intimately aware of this and I am, but what's happening in Eastern Europe and, you know, Russia and everything. And so there's just this mixture of uh, what is going on and our markets are, I mean, I think the SP 500 is, is not performing well, let's just put it that way for, you know, this year. And what, and what are you, you know, they say fix the money, fix the world, right? That's the Bitcoin mantra. It's been ever since I've been in it, you know, and I, I'm a supporter of Bitcoin. I know if you if you paid any attention to my channel, if you looked, you're like, oh God, is this guy just like some altcoin maxi? Like, what am I getting into? I don't know if that, <laughs> those were your thoughts or not. But I'm often uh, I'm I'm a supporter of Bitcoin, and I have been for a long time. So, what are your thoughts about right now and what Bitcoin can um, do? Because I'm sorry that I'm droning on, but. One thing that has been troubling for me in Bitcoin is, you know, these like a futures ETF. It seems like they're bringing the manipulation of the stock market over to the Bitcoin market on some level. Yeah. Um, so what, do you, what are your thoughts on all of that? Sure. So I definitely was concerned when they approved the futures ETF as opposed to the spot ETF. And, you know, the futures creates basically synthetic versions. There's now no limit on the supply of Bitcoin, essentially. And on the margins, exactly. I think it can swing the price with Wall Street betting one way or another. So, no, I wasn't happy with that. But at the same time, I really am hopeful about a spot ETF. We just saw one approved earlier this week in Australia. There's been precedent set in other countries. Yeah. Um, and I know that there's a really big push right now. And you can even make your voice heard for converting the grayscale into uh, the first spot ETF. That application is in process. They've been meeting with the SEC. I think that um, some of the, the early talks about that have been very, very bullish. And I think that that mm. will really help with Bitcoin's price discovery and help with encouraging institutional adoption because it will offer, you know, one more on-ramp for people to invest in things, yeah, you know, pension funds investing in, and things right. like that. So I'm, I'm bullish on it. It's frustrating that it hasn't been 
approved. And, and honestly, I have a lot of questions about why, because we have at the head of the SEC, Gary Gensler. And mm-hmm. I don't know if anyone in your audience, you know, has followed him, knows anything about him, but he, um, I highly recommend if anyone's interested in crypto at all to Google YouTube, Gary Gensler's MIT lecture on blockchain and Bitcoin. It's about mm-hmm. 24 hours worth of content. And he literally teaches this class the entire computer science and programming behind Bitcoin. He knows literally more than I think the majority of Bitcoiners. He can explain hash functions and digital signatures and shot you. He literally knows it forwards and backwards. And he did that lecture back in, I think, 2018 when the price of Bitcoin was like 6,500. So this mm-hmm. guy understands Bitcoin, like he knows it. I, I think he understands the power of it. I think he also understands what America's uh, competitive advantage would be. So I'm really confused why he would approve a futures ETF, I would argue is a bigger risk for investors than the spot ETF, unless they're, you know, unless they know that that's going to just shoot the price up and they're not ready for that or something. But, <laughs> you know, it's been, it's been interesting to follow that. And I do think we will see a spot ETF. And the yeah. last thing I'll say is just, I know that this week has been really hard for a lot of people. It's hard to stomach the volatility, a lot of us were expecting Bitcoin to go higher before it, you know, maybe dipped down. Uh, maybe people didn't expect it to draw down this much. Um, you know, I'm certainly one of those people that has been expecting some kind of a crash within this year, potentially next, because we keep kicking the can down the road and inflating a bubble that's bigger and bigger and bigger. And the music has to stop eventually. And we do, we have a history of patterns, whether it's the dot-com bubble bust and the financial crisis bust, and we had the pandemic bust. Um, You know, all of this had to come crashing down at some point. And I knew that that would take take a big... um, hit on Bitcoin, but I thought that Bitcoin would have gone even higher first so that like when right. it comes down, it's, it's a little, you know, the floor is a little bit higher. Um, mm-hmm. but look, this kind of, this kind of had to happen. I mean, I mentioned it when I went on Tucker's show, it's like, we've been printing so much money. We've inflated all of this and now it's hitting people where it hurts. It's inflation is skyrocketing. It's at 40 year highs and they had to take it seriously. They had to take it very, very seriously. And they had to allow the equities to come down and they're, they're trying to do inflation into a slowing economy. But look, they also yeah. have an election coming up. There's an election in a couple of months. So I think yeah. what my best guess that's going to happen is equities come, could come down even further. Crypto could come down even further, but they're going to, you know, inflation will turn. They will declare victory. And then the money printer is going to initiate again, because the only way that our country can service its debt and finance itself is through money printing. And that's what's really sad. That's something I didn't understand really before Bitcoin. But we have to keep printing to keep this thing going. It's now it's now a steamroller that cannot be stopped. And money printing does always benefit Bitcoin. So I hope there's a future that, you know, where equities and Bitcoin decouple and it's not so correlated. And I think we're you know still a little bit ways away. But ultimately, Ultimately, I think more short-term pain, and then in the long run, Bitcoin will will um, will be the winner. Yeah, I mean, and money printing definitely to service debt, but it also helps win elections. You know, you got to print the money, you got to give the money to yeah. the people, so they'll vote for you, right? You got to yeah. got to pay for these votes. Um, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. So that's and then, another thing. So we have Doquan, right, from Terra Luna. I'm going to bring that up one more time, and that's you know that's a huge collapse, and um, he was also in the. Uh, process of buying, you know, he was seeking to get about $10 billion worth of Bitcoin. I think he got up to three or one mm-hmm. and a half. I don't know if it was one and a half I or three. I thought he was up to four, actually. Uh, but, so he got up but to I don't four. Know. Yeah. And so, and you interviewed Michael Saylor earlier this week, and obviously MicroStrategy owns an intense amount of Bitcoin as well. Do you, yeah. I mean, I will say that Bitcoin is held up pretty good around 30 yeah. like it doesn't want to go much lower than that it did but it's it's wanting to live there so there is strength there but um and i don't know what terra luna's done with their bitcoin have they dumped it i mean do we know have we seen that on chain i that's a really good question i do know that one of the wallets that held bitcoin was emptied at some point i think they were trying yeah. to sell and and i i do think that that impacted volatility because it was selling into such an illiquid mark i don't know i i but i don't know if yeah. they still have bitcoin or what but that it's such a mess it's such a mess i really feel for people that lost money but it's such a mess Right. And then um, so and then are you concerned about, you know, Michael Saylor, for example, um, 
like he microstrategy he he owns so much of it he's one of the faces of bitcoin and he communicates it beautifully but he also has a, a, a track record in the dot-com bubble and you know he's uh I don't know. Is there any concern there for you in Bitcoin or I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? I don't have a concern. You know, I think that he knew the risk that his company was taking and mm -hmm. he really sees this as a long term strategy. And that's one that he's made clear to both his team, his board members, his shareholders. I mean, if you're purchasing MicroStrategy, you know that they're really betting long term on Bitcoin. And, right. you know, for sure, when the price drags down, he was he said on my podcast, he's like, I didn't expect, it. you know, he was buying coins all the way in the 50s. A lot of those loan payments um, are not due for several years. And I, I'm right. curious to see what happens to Bitcoin's price. He clarified on my show the headlines and claims out there about a twenty one thousand dollar margin call. He said that's not true. Um, right. And so, you know, I think it'll be interesting. We do have, you know, these bigger players that are coming in and it is really good for the space in the sense that it does encourage more adoption. These big, I think when MicroStrategy went in, it really moved the price. And as Bitcoin grows and as the market crop grows, I think that companies may have a little bit less impact individually. But at this point, you know, the Tesla's coming in and the Square blocks, they still, mm -hmm. they're, they're, they're market movers. And it's important, you know, that's why people are watching them. But ultimately, you know, I think that Michael Saylor hits on the most important point, which is that this is the this is the long term strategy so that you don't get poor slowly with with inflation just bleeding you out. I mean, one of the reasons why I'm so passionate about Bitcoin is because what's sad to me is that in this country, we've gone from a place that first of all, was the world's largest creditor nation at one point. Now it's the world's largest debtor nation. Everyone is literally in like negative account balances when you t talk about school loans, mortgages. Um, so we literally have just nationalized and normalized debt, being constantly in debt and taking out credit for everything. We don't save, which mm -hmm. is the heart of capitalism is like invest, having the capital that you save to invest in something, to create, to build, to grow. And we, we don't, we're not growing. We're basically, I think we have a lot of imaginary fluff wealth in this country that's pooling at the top. Um, one of the statistics that I found most fascinating is that 5% of the population holds two thirds of the country's wealth. So everyone else is basically fighting for the other third. And, and so we've gotten to a place where now you can't just put your money in the bank in order to save and plan for your future. Mm -hmm. You have to turn your house into a savings account and that mm -hmm. is appreciating to levels that are completely unsustainable and like, oh great, okay, so your house went up 20%. Well, now you're gonna sell that and you have to buy another house that went up 20%. Like who's the winner really, you know, here, right? Yeah. The real estate agents, I guess. The middlemen, yeah, um, the middlemen, exactly. And then like, and then, you know, before in the nineties, we transitioned into this like 60, 40 stock and bond portfolio. Now bonds are at negative real yields as the result of inflation. Stocks carry a lot of risk. You have to become a portfolio manager or hire one to try to figure out which companies, you know, this, this, this earnings report, this valuation, like it's turned into like a system that is, it, it sucks for the average person. You can't, you have to worry about making your money first and then worry about maintaining the value or trying to, you know, make a profit on it. And I, and that's like another full-time job it feels like. And so my passion for Bitcoin is the idea that maybe create or return to a system where the money is scarce and finite and mm -hmm. the supply can't be manipulated or expanded so that in theory, your money should go up in value every single year and you can purchase more things. <laughs> And you can save for the future and plan for your family. Um, because right now, I think, you know, when you look at the purchasing power of the dollar, the fact that it's declined like 95% since the Federal Reserve was created in 1914, that has a real impact on people's lives. And, and in the reverse, we've had asset bubbles created where the price of assets is just astronomical and most people don't hold assets. And so I would just like to see a more fair system that's more inclusive and has more economic opportunity overall. Right. Yeah, I mean, the way I've sort of seen, I mean, you brought up Gary Gensler and that brings me to another point because I do find him to be actually very bullish on Bitcoin specifically. I mean, if you yeah. read into what he says, it sounds like, okay, Bitcoin's going to be okay if, as long as he's the yeah. head of the SEC. I but, so. you know, uh, but crypto is going to struggle because there's going to be a security uh, yes. label to that. And that's going to get overly regulated and we're going to see so many things die because of that. 
because once they're not allowed to play recklessly like a Terra Luna, then there's going to be a lot of things falling off. I feel like we're in kind of dying season right now. You saw it in Luna. And then, you know, I had a buddy recently be like, hey, is this a good time to buy Shiba? And I'm like, just don't buy Shiba. You know, I usually let people do what yeah. they want to do. But I'm just like, would you like not think about things like Shiba? Yeah. You know, like, I mean, I have maybe, and I'd like to hear your thoughts on it. I might have a little more of a wider uh, view of of what's uh, available, what's good, but um, because I see Bitcoin as you know fixing the money, right? Mm-hmm. And then I see some of these layer one uh, protocols as you know fixing the banks in some level, giving opportunity to people, you know, to a small time guy to use DeFi. You know, you're getting interest rates and yield that only multimillionaires get in the banking system. There's so much more opportunity for people to put their money to work in DeFi. Now, obviously, there's a lot of risk and there will future, you know, there'll be regulatory risk. But I'm I'm curious on what you think about, um, you know, Bitcoin versus, I guess, crypto would be the way to put that. Yeah, so I am a huge believer in free markets. And I always say, you know, invest based on your own risk tolerance and I wish everybody luck. For me, I I started out trying to dabble in different things because mm-hmm. to be honest with you, I did it for the same reason as most people because you think, oh, well, I could get a lot of this coin for very little and if it takes off, I'm gonna, it's a lottery ticket. You know, at the I'm end a- of the day, what what am I, if I'm being honest, like I'm just essentially gambling and I'm taking yeah. a lot more risk. Um, and I just, I urge people caution because A, you're, you're right. I mean, these are unregulated securities and so when regulation does come in and the hammer kind of comes down, uh, there may be some things that completely fail. Uh, and I think that, you know, investing in crypto at large requires a lot more research in terms of who are these companies? What is the money that's backing it? You know, is this a a scheme where, you know, venture capital is coming in to try to get big profits and then they're going to exit and everyone else is going to be holding the bag. There are, you know, versions of Ponzi schemes. And I just think that people should be very, very, very careful. Um, you know, the Luna Terra situation, this is, I would say, the most capitalistic free market um, industry that exists right now because of the lack of regulations. And that means that things will fail and there is no backstop. There's no mama bear coming in to save the day. There's no Fed that's going to bail you out. Um, you're just mm-hmm. kind of stuck. And and I literally have heard stories. I, I don't know if they're true or not because, you know, you never know with Twitter, but people saying like I put in this much and now I have like five cents in my account for Luna Terra. Um, there's a oh, lot of experience experimentation going on. Some of those experiments will go on to, I think, be successful. You know, I do believe that we're going to live in a place where there's like the metaverse and all that. But I want people to remember the dot-com bubble in the 90s because we had tons of companies. Anyone could create a website. Anyone today can create a cryptocurrency and they shoot up in value. And all of a sudden, like when when things unwind, like we're seeing right now, uh, things can go to literally zero. They could become worthless. You never hear from them again. And other things, you know, even very successful companies in the dot-com bubble, Amazon went down 90%, got a haircut for about a decade and went on to become the biggest retailer in the in the entire world. So there will be some, some other things that I think are successful projects. But, you know, you yeah. mentioned like getting the kind of gains that only banks would ever see. I really believe I'll get that with Bitcoin. Like I, I want yeah. to have... A, a money that is hard, that is fixed, that I know can be my savings technology and savings account. And I I, I have to look at the price every day because of my job. But like if I was the <laughs> average person who was working as like a doctor or an actress or whatever, I would put a certain amount of money in that was like for my future for four, five, 10 years from now. And I right. would just like put it there and not look at it. Um, yeah. And that's how I see Bitcoin. So I don't I don't invest in the in the rest of the space. So you don't. Yeah. And I want to push back just a little bit on the unregulated securities on some of these things, because I mean, and and maybe you can clarify a security means that you have equity in a company, right? Like, so if for, in order for one of these tokens to really be a security, I would think would be, be, I own a portion of that company. No. So, so securities, um, basically they, they do the Howey test. And so I have to look up the four things cause it's really well. Um, I'll just say the four things because it's really, it really helps you understand basically the big takeaway. Let's just like zoom out for a second. If there's like mm-hmm. a centralized group that can control which direction that token goes, 
that's one right. sign. And number yeah. two, if there is a, a seeking of profit, essentially, which you could say technically for Bitcoin, but like there's there's a group behind it or a group of people or a certain you know entity behind it. And there's a there's an expectation of profit. So the um, the four things for for the Howey test, which basically make all these other cryptocurrencies securities is there's an investment of money. There's an expectation of profits from the investment. The investment of money is in a common enterprise and any profit comes from the efforts of a promoter or third party. So so, you know, it is a little bit different because and I want to highlight what happened with Lunaterra, right? Uh, when all this stuff went down, everyone is flocking to a dude's Twitter account to be like, what's going to happen? Are you going to yeah. expand the supply? Are you going to repeg it? Da, da, da. Guess what? Like there is no CEO of Bitcoin. There's no Bitcoin page that you could go to to be like, are, yeah. are they going to reinflate it? You know, like, um, yeah, there's no. You are yeah. You're dependent on people that could change it. They can fork it. They can expand the supply. They can burn tokens. They can do whatever they want. You know, they can leave yeah. tomorrow and some other guy takes over. So I just, again, like I am totally a believer. Do what you want with your money. Like don't harm other people. Do what you want. Um, yeah. But I just, I don't dabble in that space is because of that. Yeah, I mean, it does seem like if you can just shut it down and turn it back on, I mean, that's kind of ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, they I shut know. down Terra Luna. I mean, this happens to Solana Weekly. So yes. there, there's some interesting stuff out there. I happen to, and we don't, this isn't you interviewing me, so I don't have to go into Algorand too much, but um, <laughs> I happen to believe that Algorand solves a lot of these problems that you're talking about. But, you know, okay. there's still a foundation and there's still, you know, certain permissions for um, a certain type of node. So I, I get it. I get it. I, yeah. I get, especially from the Bitcoiners, uh, perspective. Um, so let's, let's, as we kind of, you know, wrap up or I, I don't know, I don't need to wrap up, but as we, you know, there's certain things that I hear about Bitcoin, like, like I mentioned it earlier, you fix the money, you fix the world. Uh, mm -hmm. it's digital property. Um, mm -hmm. you know, it, it's the only sound money really, because like you were kind of touching on earlier, fiat and everything else is basically just credit. We're on a credit system. Cause that's the only real reason yes. why it's, worth anything is a we yes. agree it's worth anything and people owe it <laughs> and yes. so with bitcoin obviously it's capped there's 21 million that'll never be more than 21 million so why don't you why don't you explain to me a little bit like what do you mean by bitcoin is digital property yeah so i mean just in the same way that kind of you think of real Real estate. I mean, this is plots, I don't know, digital real estate in cyberspace. Essentially, you are making a claim to a fraction or an entire Bitcoin, and there's only ever going to be 21 million. So it's not like what you mentioned with paper currency that right now they can print an infinite amount of, and it's not backed by anything. So, you know, before I understand, you know, one of the best books is the Fiat Standard, which really breaks down the history of our, our, our currency, especially in this, in this country and how we move from the gold standard to a Fiat Standard. But at one point we had our paper money that was backed by gold and it made sense because gold is hard to move around, right? So they made paper claims on it and the banks would issue them. And then all of a sudden there were issues with different banks having different notes and they created a federal reserve, which is essentially like a cartel for the banks. It doesn't work for the people, it works for the banks. Um, <laughs> and so we, but, and and then we de-pegged, we, we, uh, we said we're no longer gonna be on the gold standard back in the seventies and there's a lot of history that has to do with that. And so now they're just printing money that like you mentioned, it's, it's it's a system of credit. We are so, so, so far into debt and in such a to such an extent that we will never be able to pay it back, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. And we have nothing that is finite in terms of the supply, nothing that's difficult to expand that backs up the currency. It's just the faith in the government and we have a powerful military pretty much it. They can print however much they want. And so I see an issue with that. Um, and even when we had gold, which was, I think, the the best hard money we had prior to Bitcoin, the supply can only be um, increased or inflated at a rate of about one to two percent every single year. It's very difficult to mine gold. Um, we don't even know how much actually exists in the Earth's crust. A lot of it has already been um, centralized. And so it's in reserves of banks and it's controlled you know, by the people that we want to take the money away from, the control of money away yeah. from. And so there's just a lot of complications with going back to something like the gold standard. But when we had a gold standard, there was there was some, um, you know, uh, there was a measure of um, just like 
what's the word? Like the, the government couldn't just get away with basically spending however much they want in order to get the yeah. votes. Like you mentioned, like, oh yeah, if you, if you elect me, I'm yeah. going to pay for your this, 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 and this. Well, they would have to actually ge- generate that money in the, in the form of taxes, or they would right. have to borrow and actually, you know, try to pay it back. And now yeah. we're in a system where we're the, it's like 300% debt to GDP. I mean, yeah. it's, it's crazy. And so yeah. when it's created, Satoshi Nakamoto programmed it so that it would be a what's called a disinflationary policy. It's not a deflationary policy because it's not that less and less are you know, coming into circulation. It's actually we're seeing more come into circulation every year as they're being mined. But it's less and less every four years. He has those like having cycles. So every four years, the amount coming into circulation is less until basically there's none in the year 2140. So none of us will be around. Um, <laughs> but it's but it's it was meant to be scarce and it was meant to take away the centralization and the control of money by central authorities. And I, I just like the idea of that because, you know, if you look at other monies or look at other precious metals, palladium, if you look at gold, Uh, The stock to flow model, which I know is broken in Bitcoin, the stock to flow model kind of measures like how much something uh, goes up in value based on how difficult it is to produce it. And so as things become increasingly difficult to produce or there's a certain level by which you can uh, cap inflation, the monetary value tends to go up, especially as the the money's value is diluted. And so we've really seen that with Bitcoin as the price like with halvings as they happen. Traditionally, it coincides with a massive spike in the price because fewer and fewer now are coming into circulation. And so, again, there will only be these like 21 million plots of digital real estate when it comes to Bitcoin. You can own a tiny bit of one. You can own one. You can own multiple. um, But that's it. Like once they're mined, it's 21 million. And I'm sure a lot of them have been lost. People have lost their keys. They've lost their coins. So that, I think, makes the supply even smaller. And I just I want to own something that is scarce. It's like owning scarce art or scarce real estate, you know, so. So, so that's yeah. kind of what I mean by digital property. Right. And I mean, and just kind of going back, like I went to a wedding recently with some very like traditional, very wealthy people that are in the bank, you know, this in the industry. And yeah. I happen to be one of the more popular people because they're like, well, should I buy this ETF? Like people are definitely the, the smart money is starting to be like, all right, wait a second. I don't want to admit they're, yeah. they're getting FOMO. And um, I'm like, no, you don't buy the ETF. You wait for a spot ETF or you just, you know, buy it on Coinbase yeah. or, you know, whatever. But um, yeah. yeah, but so uh, what my point is, is that, you know, I'll, there's a lot of people in my audience that are a little like, all right, uh, they call, you know, the couple of guys call Bitcoin Bartledue, Bartledue coin or something. Have you ever heard this? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I think it's kind of, I think it's kind of funny. I mean, it's a funny thing Bartle do, but you know, they, they slam it for being old technology or, you know, dated or it's like, and then, and the, the, the hit is like technology moves forward folks. Like, why are we going to hold on to this antiquated technology? And I push back up for a couple of things. Well, for one, the simplicity of Bitcoin is a positive, not a negative. The fact that it, and the fact that it's lasted for so long proves something that you should actually pay attention to because some new uh, thing is it hasn't been battle tested for so long, right? Yeah. So these are the things that I, what what do you say to somebody that says like, uh, you know, oh, so you, you, Bitcoin's gonna die and, you know, quantum computers are gonna shut it down. And, um, you know, it, it's, you, you're, you're, you're thwarting progress. Yeah, no, I definitely don't agree. And I, I think that we shouldn't fix something that isn't broke. I mean, I I love the fact that Bitcoin has shown so much resiliency and basically turned into this bomb-proof computer network distributed around the whole world that, mm-hmm. I mean, good luck trying to recreate it. There are basically 17,000 versions trying to trying to, to, to be as big as Bitcoin and none of them succeed because it ju- network effect is really, really powerful. Yeah. And what yeah. I would say, honestly, is I really, I really like to equate, at least in my head, Bitcoin to the early days of the internet. You know, and there were certain protocols that came out when it came to email. And like, you can't just rewire the whole system. You can't just like all of a sudden say, well, you know what? I came out with a better version of email and everyone just come on mine. Like, okay, good luck. Like you can do that. You can totally do that and try to convince the world to get on that or try to convince the world, you know, not to be on Google or not to be on whatever. But that's going to be very, very challenging because once something works and it takes off and everyone's sort of on board, like 
it sort of it reaches dominance and that's sort of what yeah. happened to bitcoin i mean you know there's that great book inter it's the internet of money i see bitcoin as the internet of money and you can build a bunch of things on other layers and you could create websites and tech companies and all that and i think we're going to see that but on the fundamental layer i think that that um infrastructure especially when it comes to our financial system will be bitcoin and i I envision a world, I hope for a world where we do see more countries adopted as global reserve currency. It's the only institutional grade or reserve um, currency grade uh, technology right now, Bitcoin is. And um, I think that with the Lightning Network, it inspires a lot of hope that it will be scalable. We are not right. at a point right now, any Bitcoiner will tell you, we are not at a point where Lightning is scalable enough to handle all the transactions that are in you know, the mainstream use of money. Um, but it's growing, it's growing. That's where a lot of investment is pouring in. That's where venture capital that's interested in Bitcoin is going to help things like Taro and, and just allowing Lightning to grow as quickly as possible to bring in more retailers to allow people to pay with Bitcoin and use it as a payment rail as opposed to just a store of value. And I think that's really important, especially especially in developing nations where people use it more as a transactional, as a medium of exchange, as opposed to a store of value because they really aren't able to save. Um, so yeah. I think it's going to grow. I don't, I, I just disagree. I think that people are not really, they're not studying and appreciating what Bitcoin offers as much as they should. And there will be other things that I think try to surface, but nothing that has the power and the potential of Bitcoin. I agree. I agree. I mean, and my position is always that Bitcoin should be and will be at the top of, yeah. you know, coin market cap or, you know, whatever. Yeah. Uh, I mean, not that that's the most important, but I mean, I think if we're all not lying, we like, you know, yeah. whatever you're invested in, you'd like it to be up on that list, I'm sure. Of course. Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> so just to kind of wind down, you mentioned the metaverse earlier and, um, you know, look, and NFTs and ownership of digital assets and this whole world. Do you, what do you see where we're headed as we kind of embody the internet more and the games and the and do you believe that that needs to be on blockchain and decentralized and all of that? Are you just not all that concerned about it? You're more concerned about the monetary effects of Bitcoin, and that's not really that interesting to you. <laughs> I'm going to be totally <laughs> honest with you. I. Like I know it's going to happen. I know we're moving in the direction of this um, metaverse world, but I really dread what that looks like. I, I don't have kids yet, but that is a goal of mine. I want to have a family and yeah. I just, I am so grateful that I didn't grow up with this stuff. I'm grateful that I, I, I went outside and like I, pl I played games and sports and I watched, you know, old school movies where technology didn't ruin the plot line. <laughs> and like, yeah. I know I just I don't I don't like the idea of a world where my child has a device from the moment that they can walk and that they're entering into like this virtual world as opposed to appreciating the beautiful physical one around. And yeah. so I think that that probably ages me, you know, right? Like I just I'm an old soul. I'm a traditional person. I want us to get back to a sense of like family values and community. And I think Bitcoin actually can help us do that. But the, you know, the direction we're heading in, like it scares me because I think of the movie WALL-E and like that spaceship where all the people are like just sitting in their seats and they have their VR cameras uh, on and they're like, yeah. you know, eating and getting really fat and they like just exist in this like fake world. And I don't yeah. know, I personally am not passionate about the metaverse or buying fake, you know, like fake houses and fake clothes for my fake version of myself. Like, I don't like it. And I'm sorry to your audience that loves it, but like, it's not for me. I love the real world. Like, I, I get it. No, no, <laughs> it, I'm on, I'm on, uh, I, I do have children and it's, it is a already a task to keep them off of their iPads and, yeah. you know, not watching TV and going outside. So imagining this world where games become, or just like, school or meetings or huh. you know going to a concert like i really my goal is going to be to focus on going for hikes going outside yeah. doing real <laughs> real things but yeah. i agree with you that it is inevitable and you know ownership and all that we just don't want facebook to be in charge of it i know that for a fact i i, I think <laughs> yeah. that's important but um what yeah so i guess Look, I was going to say something when you were talking about, oh, I was going to add, when you were talking about Lightning Network, 
Um, just to throw it back to, because apparently I'm some like evangelist for Algorand, which I've stumbled into. But, you know, in El Salvador, I, I believe that most of the banks are moving Bitcoin using Algorand. I know Lightning Network is what most of the people are using, but, you know, the banks use Algorand to move their Bitcoin. So, you know, I, I, I think my, my personal, uh, you know, uh, two cents is that maybe Algorand can help scale Bitcoin. But I know that that the people that there's a lot of pushback on that idea. Um, but I like, I like the idea of Algorand helping, you know, good old grandpa, grandpa across the street. Um, all right. You're like, what dude? Uh, yeah. Okay. Natalie, thank you so much. Is there anything else? What are you excited about right now? What are you, what are you looking forward to? And, um, you know, what, what's next for you? Are you, do you think that we're, do you think that you know the there's a little bit of a recovery in the market? Are you are you hopeful or are you thinking, oh, this is just this is just a, a fake out and all of that? I you know it'll be interesting to see. Everything is I, keeping me on my toes right now, right? Like last year, 2021, <laughs> everything seemed to only go up, and now things are only going down. Uh, so I think, like I mentioned <laughs> yeah. before, I think there's going to be some more short term pain. I I I've been buying. I, I am accumulating. It's funny whenever I buy, it dips even lower. So uh, if it does dip, so you, you could probably put a you could probably blame me and assume I blame it on you. Um, yeah. yeah, but no, I'm you know in the long run, I'm bullish. Like again, like you just have to kind of zoom out and know that this is the, the, the I'm I'm in it for the long run for for this hopefully revolutionizing our, our current system and making things a little bit better ma making things a little bit more accessible and fair and I'm just really grateful for the way my career is going I'm just doing trying to do my best I'm headed to a conference in an hour in Las Vegas to speak about um, investing and Bitcoin. The other speakers are Erod and Damon John from Shark Tank and like Greg Look Boss. And so I sit there and I'm like, how is how has this happened? And I don't, I don't know, amazing. but I'm grateful. So, um, so yeah. And if you guys want to reach out to me, I have this podcast, Coin Stories. You can hit me up on yeah. Twitter at Nat Brunel. And you can also visit my website, TalkingBitcoin.com. And I just appreciate the chance to be on your show. Of course. And so we'll end it with this. So I think it's obvious who Satoshi is, but I'm curious, do you have an opinion? <laughs> I, I think, think, okay, I'll tell you I who think, I think it is. What? I'll tell you who I think it is and then I'll let you. So I think it's pretty clear it's Nick Zabo, but okay. So who, who do you think <laughs> Satoshi is? <laughs> um, if I ha absolutely had to guess, I think it was Hal Finney, but I like the yeah. fact that we don't know. I think there's a lot of providence in that. And yeah. um and so I'm glad that we don't know who Satoshi is. Yeah, I think it's Nick Zabo and Hal Finney. That's always been who I, I think they're, they, you know, they're friends. Okay, all right. Well, thank you so much, Natalie, and um, have a great time in Vegas. And I thank really like genuinely appreciate you taking the time. Okay, Thanks bye. so much. I wish you luck with the show. Thank you. Bye. Thank you.